Hey, we are going to jump right back in. We are in week two as we're beginning to walk through the book of James, the book of James. And I want to remind you, you feel free to go ahead and turn there. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. But as we do so, I want to remind us of what the situation is. Uh, James is the brother of Jesus. He's the leader, the most prominent pastor there in the church in Jerusalem. And and many of the initial believers who formed that church have been scattered throughout the regions, uh, both Jewish regions and Gentile regions. They have been scattered by persecution. And he is writing them and writing their churches. And as he's doing so, we need to make sure we, we remember the situation that these believers would find themselves in. Uh, they would find themselves in a situation where they have not an ounce of political power. They're under the Roman Empire. There's, there is no, uh, there's no elected representation. It is Caesar's rule. Uh, they have very little political favor. They don't have any political power, but they have very little political favor in the eyes of those who rule. Because they are essentially refugees, they are reestablishing not just their life and sense of uh, rhythm and order, but their, their livelihoods. They're facing economic sanctions and actual injustice. They are being denied their rightful dues. They are, by default of believing in Christ, facing both societal pressure, but many of them will face familial pressure. There will be division in their families because these are predominantly Jewish believers, and certainly their families would not be for them. And in this situation, one of the things James is concerned about is that as they walk through these trials of various kinds, that they consider it joy, but that they, they walk through it well, that they walk through it rightly, that they walk through it in a way where they walk step by step in lockstep with the Lord, as opposed to rebellion or rioting or, hey, all of us, all of us uh, farmers were getting wronged by the, by the main boss, let's go take him out, or let's use sharp and bitter and divisive words, or there is a concern that they know how to, as they walk through these trials, do it in a way that honors the Lord. Now, church family, do we not live in times where we face trials of various kinds? For many of us in this room, trials personal, of a personal nature. But let's just pull out for a second. We live in a, a day and age where as you try to make sense of what is happening in the world, you can hardly trust anyone who would tell you what's happening in the world. To figure out what's true or not true, what source to believe or, or not to believe, we find a state of society where to profess Jesus as Lord and to say that Scripture is true, we're considered an enemy, a bigot, a fool. Even this week, news made, we received the text the other night that the government has launched an investigation into aspects of the Southern Baptist Convention. We live in wild times where most of us are just trying to make it through each and every day, where though we have the ability to vote in our country, we don't, it's not like we possess political power or, or have those things or different aspects. And so the question to you and to me, how do we walk through these days in a way that is undeniably marked 
by the glory of God. Well, that's where James goes. So if you'll look with me, look at verse 5, James chapter 1, verse 5. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to them. But they must ask in faith without doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that one ought never to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Catch what he says. Maybe the connection doesn't initially. Some have, have debated that this is, you know, we talked about trials, now we're, there's as if it's separate, but there's a connection here. Because the reality is it says, but if, or, or now if, maybe is how your Bibles translate, there's a connection. As you and I walk through trials, trials with a call to count them, to, to count trials as great joy, knowing that God is up to something, here now is a connection. How are we going to walk through those, child, those trials that'll bring about a maturity that lacks nothing if we lack wisdom. And it's an interesting phrase here, church family. Maybe you didn't pick up on it because you're probably not a Greek grammarian, nor am I. I know enough to get in trouble. But when it says, but if any of you lacks wisdom, that is a first-class conditional clause. And someone surely goes, pastor, I don't care about a first-class conditional clause. That, what does that have to do? Well, here's what it, why it's important. Because a first-class conditional clause assumes what it supposes not to be a possibility, but a fact. Let me read it in this way. Since you lack wisdom, since you are constantly lacking wisdom, here's what the condition assumes, church family. The condition assumes not that you and I will sometimes face situations where we lack the wisdom necessary. It assumes that we are always facing situations that we never have the wisdom necessary for in and of ourselves. There is a piece of, of humility for us to see here, a, a fact that James just comes right out. He doesn't mince words. He says it. You are facing situations not some are possible. You are facing situations and you are lacking. It's present tense. You are continually lacking. You, you have inferior wisdom to meet the moment. You have inferior wisdom to meet the moment. And this lack is not going, is not going to be fixed by reading more books, by living more life and gaining more experience, by increasing your intellect or by maximizing your talent. In fact, Understanding that you can work hard, you can live a very long life, you can have a lot of experiences, you can be well-read, well-learned, you can speak five languages, you can play seven instruments, and you can be an all-star in eight different sports, and it doesn't mean you can make up for the lack of wisdom. Because wisdom is something different. Well, what is wisdom? It says, but if any of you lacks wisdom, wisdom. Wisdom here is described as a supernatural wisdom. Wisdom in Scripture is not something you gain from your own effort and experience. It is something that God gives. It is something that God imparts to those who seek it. It is what enables the righteous person to discern, to know, and to live out the will of God in any situation, at any time, amongst any crowd. 
Wisdom comes from the fearful respect of God. It alters us. It transforms us. It informs us the way we live. And we'll see later on, wisdom is going to be a theme throughout the book of James. In fact, some have said wisdom is to James what faith is for Paul, what hope is for Peter, what love is for John, this core tenet that describes the basic reality of the Christian life. And so we'll see wisdom pop up throughout this book, and later on we'll see this, this wisdom described and fleshed out, but this wisdom leads us to live a life filled with justice, with righteousness, with peace, with love. It leads us to live a life that looks like Christ. Contextually here in the text, the wisdom that James is telling them to ask for is the wisdom to be able to see through the trial, to see, as one writer put it, to see history from God's perspective. Lord, here I am in the midst of these trials, personal, global, national, local. Here I am facing these things. Where are you and what are you doing so that I may walk out your word rightly? This is what it is. If any of you lacks wisdom, we, Scripture has a lot to say about wisdom. Proverbs chapter 1 says that wisdom starts, the beginning of wisdom is what? The fear of God. The fear of God, that awe and respect, that love and adoration for the greatness and grandeur and majesty of who God is, this fear of God that is to be present in our life, this is the basic foundation of wisdom, which would inversely imply this. You can't have wisdom if you don't fear God. Proverbs chapter 3 tells us that wisdom is going to demand a complete and total dependence. Chapter 3 is expounding on wisdom. And of course, if you grew up in Bible school or Sunday school or Awana, you know, trust in the Lord your God with all your heart, the entirety of your will and being. Do not lean on your own understanding, but in how many ways? All your ways acknowledge Him. Don't depend, don't lean on your own, but completely and totally depend on who He is. Later on in chapter 3, we'll say that this kind of trust, this kind of wisdom, what wisdom produces in our lives is good for our body. Side note, church family, that means there's actual tangible health benefits for knowing and having the wisdom of God in our lives. Later on, it will call it more valuable than, than any precious metal or gold. In Colossians chapter 1, it says that wisdom is, the, the, the spiritual wisdom that God gives is the key to knowing and understanding what God's will is. This is what wisdom is, church family. This is what, what wisdom does. So what does it look like fleshed out in our lives? It looks like a person who lives out the holiness of God. It looks like a person who, in spite of how smart or not smart they may be, how skilled or unskilled, how talented or untalented, how, how wide their reach is or how small their reach is, it is a person who understands rightly who God is and understands correctly what that means played out in their life in every situation. For, for those James is writing, it's going to mean the ability to endure, to endure trial, to endure uh, injustice, to enjoy, to endure sorrow and pain, and to do so with the ethic of Christ, where they do it with peace and grace and mercy and love, praying for their enemies rather than rising up in violence and hatred. In church family, do we not have need of this wisdom today? Do we not have need of this wisdom for how to work with and to work for those who are lost in the workplace? To know when to open our mouth and, and speak on this policy or not policy? Do we not need this wisdom today, parents, about what kind of schooling option to choose? Do we not need this wisdom when we're 
ministering to friends and family on when and where to share the gospel? Do we not need this wisdom on what to post on social media? Do we not need wisdom in, in how to use the, the privilege of having a vote in the political process? Do we not need this wisdom on what movies to watch and music to listen to, how to steward our finances, how to pray and love our enemies, how to number our days and steward our time? Are we not faced with endless things every day that we need the wisdom of God for? And by the way, not only do we need the wisdom of God, but we need it because in everything I just listed and more, Scripture tells us we don't have the wisdom necessary in and of ourselves. We don't have it. We don't have the wisdom necessary, but look what it says. We have access to the one who gives the wisdom. If any of you lacks wisdom, or since you all lack wisdom, ask of God. Ask of God. It's a present tense verb, meaning you and I are not just to ask once, it is to be a continual habit of our life as a child of God. If you have been saved by the grace of God through personal faith in Jesus Christ, where you have repented of your sin, you said, God, Jesus, you're God, you came, you lived, you breathed, you moved, you died, you rose, it's you, and I'm asking you to save me. If you've been saved by Christ, then it is our lives, brothers and sisters, are to look like we are continually asking God Give me wisdom. Give me wisdom. Fill me with your wisdom. Give, impart to me your wisdom. Give me your wisdom. It is to be continual, and, and it's a command. This is not a suggestion, church family. It's not a, hey, a really good spiritual idea for our lives is, is that we should ask for wisdom. It's not just a good idea. It's expected. So let me ask us this question. How often do we pray? And when you pray, how often in your prayer are you asking God for wisdom? Is there a persistence like Jesus describes in Luke 18 with the persistent widow who, who in a parable constantly goes after this judge asking for this, this just decree? And literally the judge says, because the woman nags me to death, I will do it for her. And Jesus' point is, when you pray to God... It's not a judge who doesn't care, it's a father who cares, who it's impossible to care more than how he cares. And we ask, why? Because it is, look what it says, God who gives, who gives, present, active, meaning that God is always in the mode and desire to give. Active meaning it delights, it is God's choice to give. It thrills the heart of God to hear his children look across that, that, that table of heaven and say, God, Father, I need your wisdom. And it thrills the heart of God. He delights to give. He delights, and look, look how it says, church family, he gives generously and without reproach. James wants us to be certain of the character of, of the giver. He gives generously. You can go all throughout Scripture, church family, and it always speaks of, whenever it speaks of God giving, it always speaks in lavish terms. He's He's caused his mercy to abound upon abounding. He's given lavishly. He's completely and totally immersed. God is a generous giver. But that word, while meaning generous, also has another meaning. It means straightforward, sincerely, single-mindedly. And what it's describing here is that God is not just generous, but that God is not complicated. When God says that he generously wants to give wisdom to the one who is asked, he is being straightforward. He's being sincere. He's being open. It delights him. He's not saying, well, 
I want you to want my wisdom, but there's some strings attached. Go down and look at, no, God says, I want you to ask for my wisdom. I am generous. I am going to give it straightforward and without reproach, meaning without demeaning the one who asks, reviling, mocking, insulting the one who asks. God is not the boss who on your first day at the job, when you don't know everything, looks at you and goes, well, why on earth do you not know that? Strike one. God knows we don't have the wisdom. God knows. The problem is we don't always know we don't have the wisdom. We're not always humble enough to accept that fact, but God knows we don't have the wisdom. And so he desires for us to ask. And when we ask, he doesn't go, well, dadgum, Wes, how dumb are you? You've known me for this long. By the way, you've known me for 28 days today. Literally, today's 28 years ago when Christ saved me. You've known me for 28 years and you're, you're, you still need to ask for it. No, God goes, oh, praise the Lord, Wes. Here's some more wisdom. It delights his heart. It delights the heart of God. And look what it says, that, that if we realize that we don't have the wisdom, if we will ask, let that be a continual posture of our heart. God, who gives generously without reproach, look what the promise is. It'll be given. It'll be given. God will give this supernatural wisdom, this ability to understand who he is at, the, at, at his word, the ability to understand what he calls and, and expects of my life, the ability to understand by the power of God himself, the Holy Spirit living inside of me, how to then go and stand and live and move and breathe in a world that is opposed to him. It'll be given. Why? Because God is a good God. Do you realize, church, man, we don't have time to go off on this tangent too far, but everything you see God make is good. Everything God tries to give is good. The problem is, <laughs> the problem is we're just not honest about how much we always don't want the goodness he would give. Because sometimes the goodness he would give means we're not getting what seems enticing from this world or it may cost us something of this world. The problem's not with his, his goodness. The problem is this our desire. God gives lavishly, gives simplicity, church family. So we need to understand today that we are to always ask for wisdom. I figured out what's tough about preaching through James is James just doesn't have any fluff. What's the point? You don't have wisdom. What do you do? Ask for it. There's the message. You don't even, it's right there. We need to always ask for wisdom, church family, which means we're going to have to embrace the real reality that we lack wisdom. If we understand this passage correctly, there should be an attitude of humility that washes over us to recognize we don't have the wisdom necessary to follow him in this world. We lack it in and of ourselves, and no amount of great, great leadership books you read will ever give you the wisdom that only God can give. It should also bring relief. Some of you here go, oh, praise the Lord. You mean God knows that I don't know everything and I don't know how? Oh, praise God should bring relief, should bring humility. We don't have the wisdom needed, but we do have access to it. Do we embrace this reality? We, we then, if we embrace it, we start faithfully asking over and over, Lord, Lord, give me wisdom. And one of the key pieces of encouragement from my, especially my teenage years that I remember from my mom is Wes. Every day you ought to be asking for God's wisdom. You need wisdom that only he can give. Wisdom, we're not going to be there with. You need wisdom. I pray for wisdom all the time. Church family, could it be that one of the reasons we often look so unwise is because we just never ask for wisdom? Wisdom. And you say, well, pastor, how, how do I, what should I pray? Well, 
Just make a note here. Let me just read you what Paul prays. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. Hearing about these believers in, in, in Colossae that they've never met, this is how Paul prays for them. Colossians 1, 9. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we've not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please Him in every respect, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light." You say, well, pastor, I don't know how to pray for wisdom. Can I encourage you? Just open up your Bible and read that to God. That is Paul praying for wisdom. And, and notice the connection in there, the wisdom that, that, that enables a person to know and understand the will of God, to live out a life that's pleasing to God, to be filled with the power of God, to, to the glory of God. And understand, church family, if we're not faithfully asking for wisdom, is it possible that what that is actually exposing in our life is a lack of fear of God? If fear of God is the base block for wisdom, then could it be that the reason that I'm not asking isn't as simple as I just get busy or I just forget or I, could it really be that it's exposing a hole in our affections towards God? It's possible. We need to be faithfully asking for wisdom, church family. We need to be rejoicing that God delights to give as we ask. James is clear. I, I, he wants right off the bat, you don't have wisdom, ask for wisdom. And I want to be clear with you, church family, God loves to answer this prayer. We need to be certain and rejoice of his character. He delights to hear us ask him for wisdom. And as we do this, church family, as we embrace the reality we don't lack wisdom, as we humbly and faithfully ask for wisdom, as we rejoice knowing he delights to give, we trust him and we make decisions. Sometimes when we face simple, you know, we ask for wisdom and we're facing a trial, or maybe we're just facing a decision. The trial is the decision. We got to choose this or this. You know, should I go to this college or this college? Should I take this job offer or this job offer? It may be something more intense than that. We face all kinds of decisions that there's not a verse in the Bible to say, Wes, Mary Bethany Hartsfield in 2015. That verse isn't in the Bible. But that was obviously God's will for my life, so how do you get there? The wisdom that comes from God. We have to ask, humble ourselves, ask, trust, and make decisions. we don't, we got to resist the urge. Some, some of us in here, we're of the mindset that we just don't ever ask. Some of us in here, and I'd be one of these in, in, in past days, we over-spiritualize the asking. God, give me your wisdom. All right, where's the burning bush? Where's the burning bush? It shouldn't be too hard to find one in the weather outside. Where's the burning bush? <laughs> and we over-spiritualize and we wait to hear the trumpet blare and the heavens part and Jesus transfigured in front of us. But you notice James doesn't say how God's going to give you the wisdom. In fact, it seems to not be that flashy. We know from Scripture it's the Holy Spirit living inside of us who's going to produce that wisdom and the wisdom He gives us will never contradict anything in the written Word. And so, putting all this together, what does this look like? This is a, this is a, when I was younger, it's a story that God frequently reminds me of and convicts me. 
I started to really pursue the Lord on a daily basis when I was 13. Began having a daily quiet time. I didn't, didn't know anything other than uh, God, God would be there and I needed to read his word and the Holy Spirit lived inside of me and here's this 15 minute window that I was gonna do and I'd read two chapters of the Bible and pray with whatever time I had left. It wasn't some grand glorious, wow, pastor at the age of 13 knew how to have God's godliest quiet times. What it was though is it was sincere. It was sincere that I knew I needed God. And, and, and here's what this looked like. There was a, a week around that time, that, that time in my life, about four, uh, I was still 13, eighth grade, my parents went away for a week, which was almost never happened. At that same time, my sister was five and a half years younger, so we were definitely at the ages for conflict. And my sister at that time, uh, very different age than today, there were some things she was going through that today the answers are much clearer and easy to obtain, that at that time we didn't have all the answers. And so she could have some outbursts of anger. And so my grandparents were keeping us. And all I knew is I didn't want, uh, I didn't want something to happen. My grandparents weren't used to being with my sister. They didn't know what was going on. And so every day I'd make sure in my quiet time, and I would just say, Lord, please give me wisdom to know how to, how to care for Leanne today. Please give me wisdom to know how to not do something dumb and blow it up today. And you know what? There were no flashing neon lights. There were no ground shaking. There was no fires passing by. There was no rushing wind. There was no tongues of flaming fire hovering over my head. There was just, God said, ask for wisdom, and he said he's going to give it. So I'm asking, and then I got up and went about my business like God was actually going to do what he said he was going to do. Because I didn't know any better. And in every situation that week, there was wisdom. There were several moments that could have blown up, and they didn't blow up, and I just remember knowing how to navigate it and knowing that was the Lord. The reason God brings that to my mind is because there is a condition, there is a condition to how we ask. And that story not only demonstrates to the one who just simply recognizes, God, I don't have the wisdom. I need your wisdom. So I'm, I'm asking and I'm trusting you to get it, give it. And, and, and when I get up from here, I'm going to get up and act like you're going to do what you promised to do. Here's why that's important, because James expounds a little bit further. Look back with me. But the one who asks, and again, the one who asks, he must ask, present. So this is not only should we always be asking, but this is the way we should always be asking. It's active, meaning you and I are going to have to make a choice to ask in this way. And it's a command. It's expected. This is how we're expected to ask. But we must ask in faith without doubting. In faith, meaning that confident, convicted assurance of that which is true, though unseen. That confident, convicted assurance that is setting the complete and total weight of my being and my request on the promise of him who I cannot see, but who tells me exactly who he is and that his word is faithful and true. I am to ask with a complete, with a, a confidence, a conviction, a simplicity, just as God is simple and single-minded in giving wisdom, so I am to respond and ask for it with the same kind of single-mindedness. Without doubting, doubting being a word there that speaks of being at odds with oneself. It describes an internal battle where within yourself, you're, you're trying to pull yourself two different directions. 
It's to dispute with oneself, and it describes really two different ways of doubting. One could be a kind of internal doubting where where I am questioning and I am engaging actively in questioning God's character. So what does that look like? Well, God, I need wisdom. I'm asking you for wisdom. Oh, man, have I, have I, have I, did I pray long enough in asking him for wisdom? Maybe he won't give it if I don't pray long enough. Is God really going to give me that wisdom or is God going to kind of give me like a little bit, but then I'm going to have to go back? Is he kind of stingy with what he gives? Is, have I done enough? Have I earned enough? And, I, you know, I, I, it's one thing for pastor to pray for wisdom, but, but I'm just a lay person. Can I pray for what? Doubts, that kind of internal doubting, questioning the person of God, the work of God, how he relates. That's one way. The other way speaks of an internal dividedness, not where I'm question, actively questioning the character of God, but I am actively desiring things that aren't of God. So on one hand, I'm praying the right thing. I'm asking, God, give me wisdom. God, give me wisdom. But then I'm over here also going, man, but I really want to do it like that. I really, that seems so much easier, quicker, more efficient to do it the world's way. It says, when you ask, church family, you ask in a single-minded simplicity, conviction of faith without doubting. On the positive side, in conviction. On the negative side, without doubting, without actively engaging in either the questioning of God's character or the seeking of things that aren't in line with God's character. Now, let me tell you real quick as a proviso, we don't have time to go here long, but what it doesn't mean, brothers and sisters is that you can't ever face a period of life where you're walking with the Lord, circumstances happen that cause you to really hit rock bottom on your knees, and you have honest and real questions, like Job, like Jeremiah, like Habakkuk. This is not saying that if you come to that point and you've got some real questions where you're struggling to, 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 to take what you're experiencing and connect it to what God says is true about himself and there's some genuine struggle, well, man, don't expect to get anything from the Lord because you're doubting. That's not the doubt we're talking about. That's a doubt that you and I should come and handle in faith with God, just like Job and Jeremiah and Habakkuk and on down the line of those in the Word. What this is talking about is not when something has happened and we're, we are processing it and trying to walk and praise God that even when we are faithless, He is faithful. This is talking about the willful choice to question and doubt who he is and what he desires. And it says when we engage in this doubting, look, church family, it says for the one who doubts, and it gives this picture. It gives the picture of the waves on the sea, irregular and going every which direction and with no real, uh, I say waves on the river, I meant waves on the ocean. Wherever the wind blows, the waves are going here, the waves are going there, there's no direction, there's no place. It's why you often hear you never drift into holiness. Because if you're in a boat on the sea, if you drift, where do you go? Wherever the wind and waves blow you. Sometimes gently, sometimes tossed. This is the picture of the person. When, when doubt becomes, when that willful choosing to believe and question who God is and, and what he expects, it comes in and look what it says. That person ought not to expect. In fact, it's a command. That person should, should, never, should not expect that they will receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded and unstable in all their ways, being being double-minded, split in two directions, unstable, without firmness in all their ways. Here's what happens, and we see the danger of doubt here. When we allow the kind of doubting that is intentional questioning of his character or intentional pursuit of things outside of his character, when, when those kind of doubts come into our life, two things it says. It says, one, don't expect to receive 
It doesn't say don't expect to receive wisdom from God. It says don't expect to receive anything. Which is why when we live a life full of doubting, do we wonder why we lack experiencing his love and his peace, knowing the depths of his joy? Because when we allow doubt to consume, when we allow in walking in doubt, it's not just wisdom that will be cut off from the experience. We'll, we won't experience these other things. And I phrase it that way specifically, church family, because if you're in Christ by the grace of God through faith, you are never without the love and mercy and peace and grace and all the attributes of God. Amen. The question is not, we, we are at the table. All of those things God is giving us at the table. The problem is we're not looking at God or the table. We're, we're doubting looking at the floor. It's not that those things aren't there. It's just we have put ourselves in a place where we've cut ourselves off from experiencing what God would give. Not only that, if that's the first thing, we, we, won't ex we, we cut ourselves off from those experiences, which by the way, one of the reasons Satan will come after and try to really attack the foundation of your salvation is if he can get you to question the foundation of your salvation and truly doubt, it means you, you, you won't stand solidly in love and grace and peace and mercy and all of those things. But if that's one thing, it also says that this creeps over being double-minded and unstable in all our ways. Doubt here, doubt with the Lord is not just going to stay contained to if, as if our spiritual life is segmented off. There's no segmentation. Life is life. It's all connected. And if we're doubting here, it will spread and lead to a double-minded and an unstableness in all of our ways. My doubt of the Lord's character over here, will he really hear my cry? Will he really answer this prayer? will have an impact on my ability to make a decision over here when faced with this issue at the job. To make a decision over here when I'm in the locker room and, and this joking's going on, do I jump in or not? How do I? It's connected, unstable in all the ways. So church family, we need to understand the call today is that we always ask for wisdom. But we need to understand there's a way to ask for wisdom that pleases God. It's faith-driven prayer. It's prayer that is driven by faith, a confidence knowing who he is, knowing what he does, because of what he's told us in his word and, and responding fittingly. We also need to understand there's a way to ask that displeases God and denies his character. It's doubt-filled prayer. It'll rob us of experiencing his gifts. It will shake all the areas of our life. It's, it's when we doubt his character, when we seek to follow two masters, it, when we cry out in that prayer, un, really unsure. When unlike the simplicity and sincerity of my teenage self, God, I need wisdom, you got to give it to me, and getting up and acting like it, it's the many times when as a grown-up who's experienced life and thinks he knows better, you pray for wisdom, and then you get up and you go, I'm not sure, is he really going to give? Is, is, is that really there? Is that? And you just begin to question and spiral. Which may mean today, church family, some of the simplest application of today's passage may mean that some of us need to go home, and whether you type it or write it or you just do mentally, it may mean we need to list out who we believe God is and see if that lines up with Scripture, because it's possible one of the main applications of today is that we need to alter how we think about God, because we're not thinking the right things about God. It may mean we need to alter not just about God, but about how God works 
Meaning that James says, hey, consider all trials great joy as you encounter them, knowing that God's going to use them. If you submit to what God is doing, God's going to use it to bring you in maturity where you lack nothing. But you do lack wisdom to be able to walk rightly, so ask, ask for that wisdom. And God's going to give that wisdom. Notice what he doesn't say. God's going to give that wisdom and end your trial. Some of us have wrong thoughts about how God works. God promises to give wisdom, not in the trial. He may end the trial. He may not end the trial. That's his prerogative, not ours. Our prerogative is to trust, to submit, to obey, to cry out, to ask for wisdom. And by the way, since all of this is, is in the same passage as, as going back to last week of counting, counting it great joy, listen what happens. This is just a simple list. This is just my list of things I thought about as, as we encounter trials, as we encounter moments, decisions, places where we need wisdom, and we're called to count it great joy. Listen to the things that as we persist in getting on our knees and asking for wisdom, listen to this, this is just a few things. As we persist in asking for wisdom, endurance is produced in our life. As we ask for wisdom, dependence upon the Spirit of God is produced in our life. As we ask for wisdom, our, our dependence in living out the grace of God is deepened. By default, our pride and self-dependence are rooted out. Our confidence in Christ is strengthened and solidified. Our roots grow deeper. Our faith is refined as, as, as the impurities are brought to the surface and removed. And, and as we persist in asking for God's wisdom, we're seeking God's will, and by default, our will is being submitted. And we find in our lives the, the bearing of the fruit of patience and discernment as we come to understand His will and see His hands at work all while we encounter trials that we don't feel like we know where God's at and what's God's happening, but we're going to count it joy because we know who He is, and as we face this situation, we recognize, I don't have a clue how to handle this situation, and that could be anything, by the way. I don't have a clue how to be a good husband. I don't have a clue how to stand for Christ in a situation at His job. I don't have a clue how to, it says we, don't, we lack wisdom for all of it. I don't have a clue, so I'm asking God to give me wisdom, and I'm trusting Him. All of this is produced as we persist in asking, as we live out the command that James has laid out plainly for us today. It's an old pastor who said, since we see that the Lord does not require from us what is, a, what is above our own strength and, and ability to produce, but that he is ready to help us provided we ask. Let us therefore learn whatever he commands anything to ask from him the power to perform it. Church family, the reality is this is not just a simple Sunday school lesson. It's an urgent warning. Amen. The days are coming and may soon be here where we don't just face the normal trials of various kind, but we're thrown into the trials of persecution. The question is, do we possess the wisdom to count those trials, even those, joy? To see God's honor in granting us the right and privilege to suffer for His name's sake? Do we possess the wisdom to love and pray with a sincere and genuine heart for those who hate us? Do we possess the wisdom to provide an answer for the hope that should be marked and exploding out of our lives, but with gentleness and respect even to those who jeer us? Or will we simply just lash out, fight eye for an eye, whether physically or trading barbs on social media, 
Will we gripe and complain against the Lord? Will we despise and fall into hatred and bitterness? No, understand, church family. The days are coming. The days are here. We, it's not a matter of, when we face, of if we face trial, it's when. And we yet desperately need his wisdom. Amen. And all we have to do, whether literal or metaphorical, is get on our knees. God, I don't have it. Please give me your wisdom. So let's pray. Father, thank you (laughs) that you see us clearly, that we live in a world where we're going to face things, where we're going to walk through things, where there are real challenges, God, where where trials of various kind includes uh, the report from the doctor all the way to uh, what what kind of world are we living in and, and will we be able to say Jesus loves you and maintain our freedom. God, you call us to count those joy. You're working in and through those. But key to that, Lord, is that we be people who walk with wisdom. That we be people who in the midst of what we face, rather than speculating what you may or may not be up to, that we are filled with wisdom so that we may know and discern your actual will and then walk in it. And Father, it says that you will give to anyone, meaning that there is no one in this room, the youngest person in this room, to the oldest person in this room, to the, to the child or student in this room that knows you. If they ask for your wisdom, you'll give them your wisdom. To the adult of whatever variety in this room, old, young, married, single, parent not, if they ask for wisdom, you give. So Lord, may we be people who are marked by a a consistency, an unyielding consistency in asking you for your wisdom, but doing it, trusting who you say you are. Jesus, bless this time of invitation. May you be pleased. It's in your name we pray.